It's great, uh, great worship today, Kobe. Thank you for uh, for leading us and and the guys today. The guys, the boy band this morning, right? Fired me up, took care of, and gave gave a little healing balm this morning, which I appreciated. Um. So today we're going. We've been talking about the goodness of our God, really, and, and talking about how God has been revealing Himself to our church, particularly through the movement of the Holy Spirit. And uh, God has us on a uh, a journey right now as a church, working through uh, this idea of becoming a community that blesses, uh, which begins with becoming a community. Right? I was talking to someone this past week, and they were um, uh, talking about how frustrated they are in their church, which they really don't even participate in. They're at this church, and they, but they're not involved, and they're talking about how frustrated they are with that church. That's not community. That, that is a result of, of people growing up in, in going to church and seeing the church as, a, as an institution and as a, I have to do this in order to earn something from God or to, to gain something or prove something in myself or make myself feel better. And, and they continue to go even though they're not in community with people. Uh, I, I have been there. You have too, probably. I, when Talath and I first moved to, to Alexandria or Pineville 21 years ago, it's hard to believe that. Uh, but we, we started looking for a church that we liked. And that we thought would be good for our kids. And so we started searching around. And we, we visited all the, the big churches, you know, the churches that everybody loved and said these would, these would be great for us and for our kids. And so we visited all those. And uh, it was, it was uh, interesting as we went to these different places and, started, and saw all the things that would not be good for us or for our kids. Uh, we went to one church and it was, you know, they didn't have a really good children's program. So we went on to the next church. And then... In that church, my son sat next to me and asked me what was the preacher talking about because it was so over his head. And so we left that one. And we, you know, in the middle of that search, God convicted me about what we were doing as we were searching for a church. That, uh, you know, you don't search for a church based on what it can do for you. God puts a church together. He puts the members of a body together, each one placed in that body for the, for the, uh, to, to serve that body and, and to gift that person particularly where that body has a need. And so, man, I just got convicted about that and said, okay, Lord, you show us where you want us to go. Give us a sign uh, in a church where, give us a sign while we're there. You know, somehow let us know that there's a place for us in that church that, that's needed, a place of service where we are particularly gifted. And that ended up being a, uh, the next church that we visited. It was very clear. One of the elders came to, or deacons came to us that after that first service and uh, or maybe the second visit, and said, uh, heard that I used to teach experiencing God uh, in my former job, and said, hey, would you be willing to teach that to our deacons? And I said, yes, absolutely, which is abiding in Christ, basically. So yes, I'll do that. And that was God's sign to us that that was a place for us. But we're so used to, to getting in church and, and making it all about ourselves and, and not seeing that, uh, you know, seeing what we're doing here is, is vital uh, to what God wants to do in this community and in, in our own lives and the places where we work and the neighborhoods where we live. Y'all with me this morning? Say, oh, yeah. All right, so, so God has something for us here. This, this, this journey that we're on is very specific for this body. 
Uh, we have a couple of folks visiting again today. You know, I always love it when people visit, but just know that we're speaking to the church. And so uh, as God would lead you to come be a part of this body, uh, praise God. Uh, but it's on this journey with us, so you get to get, to little, get a, a little glimpse of what God's doing here and where he's leading us. And, and if you feel God's leading you to come be a part of it, man, great. This is a good day for you to be here. But we always deal with what the Lord deals is, is speaking to this body. It's not, our sermons are not random, and I'm not just preaching because we have to have a sermon on Sundays. Everybody with me? Right? That this is our word, for the word for our body for now. And, and what God will do with this to to speak and to move in the community is, is important. Uh, I spoke to another pastor friend this past week who's not yet serving a church uh, as a pastor, but has a, has a goal to be a pastor. And we were just talking about he's at a place of transition. And, uh, you know, I just encouraged him, you know, you can, you can just be God's, love God, know God, and be yourself, and that will be enough. And don't let a church... Put, put pressure on you to come in and be something that you're not. I, I think churches ruin men of God who, you know, who maybe have a passion and a heart for God and so excited about going and serving the church. And they get in a place and, and all they find is an institution that's filled with activity and programs and, uh, and a calendar full of events and expectations for a pastor to meet all these needs and and. And it it's, has nothing to do with their relationship with God. And the church is already dying, and they want the pastor to come in and die with them. And, and so I just encourage that guy this week, you know, man, be bivocational. Go find you a job somewhere. Work and, and let God use you to plant a church uh, uh, for, for millennials, particularly because you guys are incredible. Passionate about the Lord, organic, ready to move with God in whatever it is that he wants you to do. Love the word of God. Love God personally. Are pursuing him. It's just beautiful. Our missional, you know. So it's it's been great to see what God's doing here. But here, let's let's make sure we stay on target with this, because it's so easy for us to fall back into the mode of just going to church and doing our church thing. And, and I I know that we don't want to do that, but it's it's easy. It's default for all of us because we grew up. Most of us, we grew up in the church, and we're used to just coming and sitting and doing our religious duty and walking away, feeling like, okay, we've, we've done our thing, and then go and live our lives, and, and it's, we're, it's not about God, okay? So if y'all will work with me today in this message today, I will. All right. It's, it's exciting to see what the Lord is doing right now in this body. We've been talking about the different characteristics of the church in Acts and how the Holy Spirit, how, what it looks like when a pure community of new believers and a few disciples submit themselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, surrender themselves completely to the, to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and all of a sudden, biblical church is formed. It is the result of that. It's the fruit of that. You don't have to even read it in the Bible to make it happen. If you follow in the Holy Spirit, it will be biblical, right? Because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, okay? And so we've seen what pure church looks like when, when people start walking with the Holy Spirit, and it's radical. It's so different than what the church was prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so we've seen that, and we've, we've begun to look at what the church looks like. Now we're seeing some repetition in the book of Acts of the same kinds of things being done because the Holy Spirit doesn't change, right? And, and it's good that we see the repetition because it, it encourages me that we are supposed to be also holding on to some of these distinctives that were true in the book of Acts, 
if the Holy Spirit's going to fill us and we're going to be a body that's surrendered to the Holy Spirit, then the same thing needs to be true about us. We need to see some of these distinctives. And so last week, we looked at the church multiply. We've been looking at multiplied community, and particularly last week on shared distinctives, that there are things that God has given us as a body that we are now duplicating in Honduras, in Ruston, hopefully soon in Denham Springs and Natchitoches and wherever else the Lord would have us go, and, and then uh, with our missionaries in Bulgaria and Canada and Uganda and Alaska. I mean, all of our people that we send out, and, and, and we've sent a few out this week, uh, or this, this last couple of weeks, we've prayed for them and sent them out. They're going to take these distinctives to other places. And then you also had the challenge last week, and I hope that you took it seriously, and I hope this. I hope not only did you take the challenge seriously, but you remembered it this week, and if you didn't, do what you have to, to remember. If you're like me, memory is not good. <laughs> so I put it in my phone. My phone buzzes me three or four times a, a day and says, remember, remember, remember. I have to put things in my phone to tell me what to do. Uh, so if you need a reminder, make sure that you are sharing these distinctives also, that you are walking in these same distinctives in the places where you serve because you've been sent out also to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to your family. To, your, to the places that you eat. Okay? So multiply community and share distinctives. Now, we're going to continue on. Now, again, I don't know. It's from, it's from week to week how much we're going to continue to do verse by verse through the book of Acts. But today we are going to pick up where we left off because there's, a, there's more shared distinctives that I want us to see again. Okay? Because I want to nail this down in our minds that the Holy Spirit is doing the same things. Not the same physical things in every place, but there are distinctives of what the Holy Spirit does when he works. And we're going to see the same kinds of things happening again. And then we're going to see a little bit of a shift. So last week we looked at how Peter challenged the church to receive new distinctives that were given to him by the Holy Spirit. Even though those distinctives, remember, those distinctives contradicted both the historical and the current religious practices of the, of the, the church of the day. Distinctives are important for us, okay, and because they guide our actions. They don't define for us necessarily all of our actions, but they guide our actions. The Holy Spirit works by giving us certain distinctives that really become for us a frame or a framework in which we, which we operate. It's the, it's the framework that within which our biblical community operates. If you picture it like a picture frame, okay, it is the frame. The distinctives are our frame. The Gavin Place Wardville is very different than the Gavin Place West, but we have the same framework, the same distinctives that God has spoken into this body. And so that framework is there, and, and then the picture gets drawn in every community, and it always looks a little bit differently. Distinctives are not the whole picture, okay, just the framework. So there's tremendous flexibility within the framework that the Holy Spirit has given the church in, the, in Jerusalem, and you're going to see that as a, as a community spreads out, to, to new places, to a new area or region or district, that within that framework, there's going to be some, also some specific things that happen. So let's take a look today at what happens next in the text. And we're going to see how the distinctives or the framework of the community in Jerusalem is multiplied in Antioch. Uh, and then also how it takes on community practices that are specific to that area, to that region, and that district. Okay? takes on a specific form. 
So we're in Acts chapter 11. We're going to pick up at verse 19. And let's read through verse 30 and look at some of the repeated distinctives. Okay, here we go. Verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of the men, uh, some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his own ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. All right, so let's just break it down. Things that we've already seen the Holy Spirit doing, this framework of principles that we've already seen operating in the, in the biblical church that's surrendered to the Holy Spirit. First of all, uh, we already saw that the Lord used persecution to scatter the church. Okay? We already saw that. We've, we've, we've already made that point earlier, uh, that and when Stephen was stoned, the church was dispersed. Okay? But now we see that the church was dispersed with purpose, that even though they were running for their lives, that, that God had a purpose in what he was doing in the, in, in the church in that moment. And so we need to recognize that, that, that the Holy Spirit doesn't always just work through prodding us to have really positive, wonderful experiences that, uh, but that sometimes it's in negative experiences. And even in our fears, when Satan thinks he's got us by causing us to fear and run away even from what, where the move of God might be, that God still goes with us. He moves with us. And, then, and he is over all of that. He is sovereign, as we've already discussed. Uh, God's sovereignty is not messed up by Satan's plan. And so the church was scattered, but the, the second point that he makes, not only was the church scattered, but it said the word went with them. I love that. The word went with them. This new encounter that they had with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the word that they had heard from the, the apostles and all their commitment to the apostles' teaching, that went with them where they went. So the church was scattered because of the persecution, and the word went with them. But also, the Holy Spirit does a work again that he did in Peter and in Philip. You'll remember this. We talked about it just a few weeks ago. But the Holy Spirit led some of the men that had been scattered to Antioch to also preach the truth to the Greeks. Now, remember how that's not only not common, it was against the law. Remember that? Y'all with me? All right. So it was against the law. But here's God doing the Holy Spirit doing the same thing again. Okay? The Holy Spirit's the one that opened that door to the, to the Gentiles. It wasn't the idea of Peter or the idea of Philip to go reach out to the Gentiles. It was God's idea. 
the Holy Spirit's idea. So he's, again, moving some of the people to go reach out to the Greeks that were in Antioch. Next thing that happens, Barnabas is sent. An elder is sent to confirm the work, to affirm the work, and to encourage the guys that were there. We've seen that happen already a number of times that God takes a, an elder, a leader who is full of the Holy Spirit, an elder, a, a leader who is, full of, who is a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, sends them to strengthen the church. And so he goes. Then Barnabas finds Saul, and they stay there for a whole year. Now, we're going to see this new pattern. That's kind of a new thing, is, is that they're going, because they're going to a new place, but they don't just go randomly and say, okay, we're going to go over there and have a crusade, and we're going to see how many people we can lead to Jesus, and then we're going to be out of there. Oh, man, Paul, uh, the, the greatest apostle that ever lived, and, and, uh, and Barnabas, they, they go together, and they stay a whole year in Antioch, working it out, helping them to see these distinctives and walk these things out. Uh, we've, we've just completed a year in, in, uh, in Ruston. And I got to tell you, that's been the heart that God has put. That's been the Holy Spirit working in us to say, we're going to work with these people as long as it takes to get this, these distinctives that God's given us as a church into the hearts of those people. You can get it in someone's mind in a second. We, we do six weeks of new member orientation where we get it in people's minds. But all of you know that it takes a while to get this stuff in your heart and in, ultimately in your lifestyle. It, it's, it's, everything in our default religious background fights against simply following the Holy Spirit's leadership and walking in what he says. But an elder was sent there. Barnabas and, and Saul stayed for, the whole, for a whole year. And here again, we see the blessing. God added to their number. How many times have we seen that? In the book of Acts, God added again to their number. Then God sends prophets down from, from, uh, to minister from Jerusalem. Uh, it was an all-out effort to this new church in Antioch, all-out effort to build a strong church in Antioch. And God was doing it all. The Holy Spirit was doing it all. And it also included, as we've already talked about, giving money and uh, financial support to those people. Scripture says that they supported them financially, that they were willing to give of their means to make this thing happen. And so we, we see the church, again, the Holy Spirit working in the same ways that he's been working in Jerusalem. Now it's, the church is being multiplied in Antioch, and all of the support, everyone's excited, passionate about it. You know what I love about the Gathering Place West? There's never been one person who's ever asked a question about whether I should spend my time and our money in other places. You've never even questioned that. You know how rare that is? You probably forgot how rare that is. But if I was in any other church, and well, not any other, I can't, I'm not, you know, but there, many other churches, there would be so much opposition. Oh, we spend that money. We pay that preacher. He should be here for us, you know. He should be doing stuff for us, and it's all about us. But you guys are so missional in the way that you think, and it's, it's, it's one of our distinctives is we are a multiplying church. Multiplication is what God's called us to do. That's, that is a distinctive. That's in the framework of what the Holy Spirit has always been about and always will, will be about. But churches today are not about it. Very few churches in the United States that I know of, there's one great one in, in, uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, J.D. Greer's church, our new president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He is a sending pastor. He sends out people all the time to go start and plant churches. He can't hardly get them out of his church because everybody wants to sit around and hang on. I listened to a 26-year-old 
pastor from his church who led a conference for a 57-year-old guy and said, you know, he, he told us, he took me on, and I've been, he's been mentoring me, and he's going to let me stay there, I think what, it was two years, two years under, under his tutelage. And he told me to go in the church, and I'm going to plant a church in, in Los Angeles. And he told me to go into the church and find my members. Go find people to go with you. Go find them within the congregation. Get them. Go get them. You know, get some people out of here. <laughs> I love that. You know, you don't find that very much in churches. We want to be that church. We want to send people out. As the Lord leads you to go, we want to bless you and support you. And, and we're able to do that financially. With I was, I was sharing with the new couples, one of the new couples' vision with us today uh, about how, you know, I know you look around and you see lights that need to be changed out. You see, you know, uh, you don't see much <laughs> when you look around. Uh, uh, other than we have a beautiful ceiling in our sanctuary. And, you know, we didn't do that. It was here. Uh, but, you know, we don't have much here, but we have missionaries everywhere. And we will continue to send people out. And we'll continue to be able to support them financially because we're not spending our money on ourselves. And, and we're not bragging about that. It's just that's what the Holy Spirit is part of the framework of what the Holy Spirit does in a church, right? So the Holy Spirit's working in Antioch. This new church is fixing to be built and it's going to be strong. God's going to do a great work in, in, in Antioch through the Holy Spirit. Now, we've got to see Satan's scheme to destroy this work because remember, from the very beginning of this study, we, we took a pause. Remember that? And we did four Sundays just talking about spiritual warfare because Satan is all over this move of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give up. He constantly thinks he's going to win something. And so he's always going after the church, especially when it begins to multiply. So here we go. Acts chapter 12. Let's read the next few verses. Verses 1 through 4. See what Satan does to try and destroy this effort. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, everybody see the word Jews, right? It pleased the church, okay, of the day. It, it pleased the religious people, those that were still bound in the religious uh, legalism of their day. It pleased them, okay? So it pleased, when he saw that it, it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him uh, out to the people. So what do we know? We know the church is not even a year old yet, okay? Of all the times for the church to expand, I think it's awesome that the church is expanding on Passover. I never thought about that until this week. Isn't it cool, though, that, you know, when Jesus told him in the upper room, abide in me. It's all fixing to change. And then a year later, the church is expanding. And so here they go. Passover's happening. And he told them, he intended after Passover to bring them out to the people. So let's look at what Satan's scheme was. Number one, he killed James. Satan killed James. Now, God allowed it. Satan thought he was winning a major battle when he killed James, one of the disciples. But God allowed it. In God's sovereignty, James is killed. Now, we talked, when we talked about John the Baptist, Jesus described John the Baptist as being a man uh, of all men born of women. There's none greater than John the Baptist. And yet, God allowed John the Baptist to be beheaded for a wicked queen's uh, delight. So God's not 
disappearing, and we're going to see that here in just a minute. But he kills James. He thinks, oh, I got him now. And then uh, through his servant, Herod, he sees the joy uh, that the people have in that, and so he's going to raise his notoriety, and he's going to kill Peter too. But he couldn't do it yet, so he arrests Peter and puts him in jail. All right, so he kills James. He arrests Peter. He was going to bring him out for a monkey trial in front of all the people and get, get all the crowd of people riled up and all the Jews uh, begging uh, for uh, Peter to be killed also and gain favor with them. You can just see what was fixing to happen. He's going to bring Peter out the next day, bring him in front of the people. What do you all want me to do? And he'll raise him up. Who's the best king of all? And we're going to see that happen too at the end of this story. Who's, who's the best king of all? So that was his plan. Satan was going to make a mockery out of Peter. And then that night, Peter is in prison. He's, number one, he's sleeping, okay? So nothing, you know, Peter is, is, is sleeping in a dark prison, all right? So Satan's got him there. Can't do anything when you're sleeping and you're in a dark prison, right? Uh, Peter was between two soldiers. Um, so a soldier on each side. Satan, was, Satan had him, had him bound up with chains between two soldiers. And then the, the scripture also said that the prison gates were guarded by two more soldiers. All right, so Satan's got it, right? He's got it all under control. He's got one of the disciples killed. He's got everybody running scared. He's got Peter in prison. He's going to bring him out for a monkey trial tomorrow, right? In the meantime, he's got him sleeping in the prison and in the dark where he can't uh, find his way around. He's got him chained between two soldiers, and, and he's got another soldier, two more soldiers guarding him outside. Something else was going on. That seems simple routine to us, but it wasn't simple routine for the community of believers. And here's the new something else. Here's the new something that was going on. All right, let's read it in, in verse 5 of chapter 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before him were guarding the door, the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from the hand of Herod and from the Jewish people, and from what the Jewish people were expecting. Right, something else was going on. Number one, and here's where, where we need to land today. We've already had experiences with corporate prayer. We talked about corporate prayer when Peter, uh, last time when Peter was uh, arrested, and, and he got out and he proclaimed the gospel to, to uh, all the Jewish leaders, and he was so excited about that, they had to release him uh, because the crowd was so, so much on his side, so they just told him, don't preach anymore now. And he said, we can't help but speak what we've seen and heard, and they release him. And, he, and they go to the church, and they proclaim what all God said. And remember that they had this prayer meeting together. 
this corporate prayer experience. And they were praising God for what he did. They praised God for his sovereignty. It was a, it was a, it was a prayer of a praise and thanksgiving to God for his sovereignty, for, for what he did in proclaiming and spreading the gospel and moving them forward. And they asked God to continue to use them. And right away, God, God continued to use them, gave them opportunity to share the gospel again. Remember that prayer? You might not. But it's in Acts chapter 4. You can go back and read it again. So we've seen corporate prayer, but this is different because this is intercessory prayer. This is the first time that we see recorded in the, the church after the Holy Spirit came, this new distinctive of intercessory prayer, where the church is led by the Holy Spirit to begin to pray for somebody. Not knowing what all they were doing, they just knew the Holy Spirit was leading them to pray. And God's about to teach the church the power of intercessory prayer. God involved them in intercessory prayer. And I want us to learn from this also that intercessory prayer is, is the Holy Spirit leading us to legitimately pray, right? This is not some random, again, it's not some random prayer. It's an earnest prayer. It's described as an earnest prayer made by the church. I, I just posted this morning about my mom and dad. Uh, I posted with you guys about their accident and things that were going on. But I didn't want to post it on Facebook because I just didn't want a lot of people calling and coming up to the hospital and all of that was going on. But I wanted you guys praying about it. But, you know, when you, as soon as you pay, pray, and, and I'm not against, listen, I'm all about Facebook and let's get the word out. It's beautiful for us. But you know how it is. You, you also, and I also, sometimes just post a little praying hands, you know. But we're not really, are we really earnestly praying? Are we? I, I know you guys have prayed for me, okay. But how many times do we just post the hands, you know, and, and do we just say we're praying, but we're really not, and it's kind of a social expectation. We don't want people to think that, hey, he knows him. Why didn't he post something that he's praying, you know? I do it all the time. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about here. We're talking about earnest prayer. Man, they were, they were crying out to God. The Holy Spirit through them was crying out to God for, for, uh, this, on the, for the sake of Peter. For his life, they're crying out to God because they had already, he had already killed James the day before. There was no doubt that they were gonna, he was going to kill Peter. Herod was going to kill Peter. They saw the severity of the moment, and it, it led them by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit led them to all come together to, to pray and intercede for Peter. So they're praying. They don't know what they're doing. They don't, they don't know how to pray in intercessory prayer. They're just crying out to God. They're just speaking their hearts to God, and that's, that's what we need to do in prayer. You know, as we intercede for people, let's do that. Let's cry out to God as the Holy Spirit leads us to do it. Don't make yourself, don't, you know what I'm saying. If the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart, cry out to the Lord for, for people in the body. It's something that, the, that we need to do corporately. This is a corporate experience of prayer, of intercessory prayer. And God's, man, God's answer comes in God-exclusive form, right? It comes in a form that nobody else can mess with. Satan thought he had it all whipped. Look at the things that God did. All right? And God's glory is about to make Satan's plan look foolish. God is about to make Satan look like a punk. All right? Here it goes. Look, look at what happens. So, number one, the angel stood next to Peter, making the soldiers look like Urkel. All right? It's like, soldiers, what? What's a soldier? Let me show you something. Angel comes in. And angel's standing next to Peter. All right? Got two soldiers on each side. They, they look like Urkel. A light shone in the cell, making the darkness disappear. Okay? You're going to get to see, yourself, see your way around, uh, Peter. Here's the light. All right? 
I know it's dark, but let me show you the way. Follow the light. Angel nudges Peter to wake him up because Peter can't escape if he's sleeping, right? So the angel wakes him up, making him ready to be led. The angel gave him instructions, countering Herod's instructions and countering Herod's expectations. The angel gave Peter instructions. Peter went out following the angel, which countered, by the way, Peter's control, right? I love the fact that Peter was sleeping because Peter didn't have a plan. Peter was done. Peter was ready. He's sleeping between two guards. He's content to die for his Savior. Peter's sleeping. has to be awakened, right? And so Peter follows the angel out, so Peter's not in control. He doesn't even know whether it's a dream, a vision, or if it's real, right? This is not Peter's power getting him out of prison. God wants everybody to know that, right? I love this too. The text tells us that he passed by the first guard and he passed by the second guard. I love that. You know why? He didn't have to say that. He could have said Peter found himself outside. He wanted to say, watch this. There's a big guard standing right there. Peter walks right by him. And there's another one over there. He walks right by him. He's walking right by the guard. It's like I was saying, you're a punk, Satan. You thought you had it and you have nothing. Where's your big guards now? Peter just walked right by him with the light on. You know, it's like the light was off. He could have snuck by in the dark. God, no, I'm going to shine the light on this. I don't know how. The, I mean, I'm wondering what, what happened. How did, did the guards just go, what? You know, I don't know. But God's showing his power. And then the iron gate opened all by itself, countering the expertise of the soldiers that had, were guarding the gate, just reminded me of Jesus' tomb being sealed by uh, Herod? Caesar. Being sealed so that he couldn't get out, right? Who sealed the tomb? I can't think of it right now. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, where's your, where's your stone now, right? It's gone. And God's just showing off. And, and then Peter came to himself after the angel left. He comes to himself recognizing that all of it was God-exclusive activity. So remember that the Holy Spirit gave the church a distinctive, a distinctive to pray corporately for people, but pray with expectation, to pray knowing that God has everything under control. And if it doesn't happen the way we plan, one thing we can know, we sang about it this morning, is that God is in control. God is doing the best thing for his people. We can count on that. And so we cry out to God. We cry out to God for whatever he desires. Corporately, we come together and we agree together for the things that God desires for us as a body. In his purest form, and in the form that I hope will eventually, if it's not already happening at the gathering place. In his purest form, corporate prayer is this. Corporate prayer is you praying and seeking the Lord for your own personal life and your own role in this community as God has committed and gotten you to be committed to this body of believers. That you're praying for your role and God gives you his own will for your life personally and then it fits into the plan of the corporate body. And, you, and you're, you're amazed by it. You, you come to yourself realizing the Holy Spirit has led you to the right place. That the Holy Spirit has led you to the right position. That the Holy Spirit has done his work and it fits within the, 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 the role or the, the work that God's doing in and through this body. You just find that out. It's not like you have to come here and say, what positions do y'all have available? We have no positions available. God has a lot of positions. And when he tells you to do it, 
You just filled it. Okay? He is the committee on committees at the gathering place, right? And God's doing it. He, he's bringing the people that we need. He's bringing folks into this body that are, are gifted in very specific ways at the right times. That's why we're not scared to send people out because we know that God's going to bring people in. And so remember that the Holy Spirit gave the church this distinctive of intercessory prayer. A church that surrenders the Holy Spirit is a church that prays for one another and prays for God's work within the community and cares about what's going on in the body. You don't have to make that care happen. You can't. You can't, you can't drum that up. You just have to let the Holy Spirit do it in you. And he will do that. That's, that's what he does. And we see it in the life of the church. But also, remember that prior, that in the previous story when Peter was arrested, prior to their prayer, that, that Peter came and shared his story with the church and how significant what that was. And then a couple of weeks ago, Will preached a message about sharing our own personal stories and how significant that is. So what does Peter do? As soon as he's released and he comes to himself, what does he do? He goes to the church. Look at it in verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was named, whose name was Mark. So this is John Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And he knocked at the door of the gateway, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. <laughs> like they had no expectation that the prayers that God had put on their hearts to pray was actually going to be answered. But they were praying them, right? Because they were used to dead prayers, first of all, right? This is the first corporate experience in prayer. So they're gathered together, all feeling led to pray the same thing for Peter's release. And so they don't believe that it's happening. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. How many times have we seen that? Bewilderment, amazement, right, in the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does. But motioning to them with his hand, he said, be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. So he just basically gave them the same thing I just gave you. Satan did this and God did this. And these soldiers were there. They were punks. And, you know, he went through the same thing, shared that story, how the Lord brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And he departed and went to another place. Now, when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become, Peter, what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea to spend time there. So, number four. You've lost numbers. It's okay. I've lost numbers. This is number four of my main points. Anyway, next thing. So, in this text, what happens? Peter goes to the praying saints. All right, he goes back and he tells his story. They didn't know the power of corporate intercessory prayer. This is a lesson that the Holy Spirit is teaching the church as they obey the Holy Spirit's promptings to pray together. He's teaching them this, this lesson. They were amazed, all right? Again, bewildered, amazed. It's what happens when God-exclusive activity goes on. The church grows together in strength and in, in dependence upon God, the God that they've experienced and know now by experience in a new way. They are stronger. They're amazed and ultimately, the community will be amazed. Peter shares the details to help the church to see God's glory. He, does, he takes no credit. He can't take any credit. He wants the church to say, God's still working. He's working here in Antioch, too. Look at what he did. He's, he, he did all these detailed things. 
This is God. And the church rejoices in that. And then Peter lives, right? He's not put to death, but instead his enemies die. First of all, Herod questions the sentries and he kills the two sentries that were guarding the gate. But don't think that Herod got off easy. God killed Herod. Look at what happens in chapter 13, verses 21 through 24. On an appointed day, I'm sorry, this is still 12, still 12. I might have put 13, but it's 12, I believe. Verses 21 through 24. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. He took a seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. In verse 24, here you go. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Finally, Peter lives and his enemies die. God finished it all up, right? The church was praying. God was teaching the church something. God doesn't need the church to pray in order for, yeah, everybody realize that? That God has already saved Peter before and the church wasn't really, I mean, we don't have any record of the church having corporate prayer, intercessory prayer for him. God doesn't need the church to pray to do what he wants to do. God is sovereign. He does what he wants. There are times when God just does stuff, right? He just does it. But there's a reason why God has the church praying together. It's because God wants us to know him by experience through obedience. He wants us to all come together. He wants to draw us together in community and and for all of us together to know the power of God. And he wants to put us on task together as community. It's different if I have my own experience of, of answered prayer. If, I, if it's just me personally and I'm praying for something from my life and God gives me an answered prayer or, you know, he leads me to pray a certain way and he answers that prayer, that's different. But when we're all praying together for something, it draws us together. It makes us stronger as a community and it also makes us remember who is sovereign and who's in control. It also makes us know that we are powerful together as God's children working and moving in God's will in this community. And there's nothing that can stop the power of God when a church begins to pray for the impossible. As God leads us to pray. I'm not saying just go pray for the impossible because, you know, there were years where I prayed, God, make this church huge. Build us up. Make us big. And that was not God's prayer. It was my prayer. If I wanted it big so that people would say, look how many people they have. And, and, the, and the answer didn't come from God. And, and I, I, I built a church myself, a number of different churches. But when God does something, we need to start asking God for God-sized things. Right? Y'all with me? Henry Blackaby says the reason why the world has not seen God yet is because the church is never asking for anything God-sized. We need to start asking God for God-sized things. Let's let's ask God to, to, I mean, ask God what his will is. And when he says, this is my will, and it's impossible, let's agree with him on it. And let's corporately pray together for it. Right? We just had that experience of together making a decision to support a pastor in Honduras. We can't afford to do that financially. We're not there. Ask Buddha. She'll show you. We can't, we can't take on another $600 a month. But guess what? God said do it. We prayed together. We're all 100% for it. And then, and then we make a decision on Wednesday. Sunday, by Sunday morning, $600 is already, $600 more is already taken care of. It's already done. We have $600 more coming in every month through a couple of commitments 
and, and not, pe- not people, one of them is, one couple is not people from our church. The other is not a commitment to support ministry. And only $100 of that was someone praying and God saying, you give $100. So five of it came from God, just God's doing stuff outside of our church, really, outside of the, the working of this body. God is able to do whatever he wants to do. And he's going to constantly challenge us to do things that are God-sized. So let's believe God for those things. Let's agree that we're going to allow the Holy Spirit, we're going to surrender the Holy Spirit on this thing of asking God what is the God-sized thing that you have for us and then agree that God's going to lead us to do that. We're already, we're on our way. Okay, we're on our way. Multiplied community means we have to depend on God. If we're going to multiply this little church as small as we are, it's, it's got to be God. But when this church started, when I went on retreat before, this, before I ever, when I was asked to be the pastor of this church, and I, I went on retreat to pray about that, one of the things God gave me was a little book by Henry Blackaby. And in that book, he shared a testimony of his call to Canada to, to go and, and plant a church. And it was a very small community. It was a very few people. And bef- the, before he even unpacked his books, there was a church from a community up about, I think it was an hour and a half, two hours north of where they were that said, that called him and asked him, would he come up there also? And he said, I'll pray about it. And God said, go. So he did two churches instead of one. They, he said, before we were even able to, to get a good church, get our church solid, God was already multiplying us. I've always believed that in that moment when I was preparing and praying for this church, that God said, you're going you're gonna to plant churches before you can afford to do it. That's God-sized. And he's doing it. He's doing it. We're not. Right? So let's just be faithful to, to let the God stretch us in these areas. And, and let's pray together. Let's become a church of intercessory prayer as we multiply. It's so important that you are praying about going. That you are praying about staying. You're praying about giving. You're praying about supporting, however it is that God, you saw how much the church, the original church, if they weren't going to Antioch to live, they were sending money to Antioch. They were going down to support them by giving prophecy or whatever it is that God had for them to do. They were all out in, in multiplying that church. So get, listen, get invested. Get invested in whatever way God would have you to be invested in the multiplication of this body. Okay? Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you for the call to multiply. Thank you that you are giving us wisdom to hold on to as we begin to prepare for uh, multiplication. God, I thank you that you are calling us to do things that are God-sized. And Father, I thank you for a congregation that believes that you can do God-sized things through us. Uh, We're small, we're young. We are poor, <laughs> but you are, you are strong, and you are rich, and you can bless us to bless others. So we pray for that today. Give us the right things to pray for, and Father, uh, answer our prayers as we pray with, you know, with each other by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Let us see you move and work. That the word of God might be increased and the church be multiplied. In Jesus' name.